Sometimes it can feel like food has an emotional control over you. Well, it's time to show your food who's boss with Noom. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Before we get started with this episode of Benched with Bubba, I want to tell you I am stoked to be collaborating with Rotoballer this 2020 season with the Benched with Bubba podcast joining the Rotoballer radio network. Since 2013, Rotoballer has been grinding away, providing millions of fantasy baseball players their fix for in-depth MLB analysis and player news. If you haven't heard, Rotoballer 2020 MLB Draft Kit is live, and all Benched with Bubba listeners can get 10% off Rotoballer's Draft Kit by using the discount code Bubba. Rotoballer is home to the number one fantasy pros accuracy ranker Nick Mariano. Nick's 2020 rankings and projections are available as part of Rotoballer's draft kit, along with printable cheat sheets, draft sleepers, and busts. More than 300 2020 player outlooks and tons of in-season tools. All this fantasy baseball goodness from Rotoballer is available for 10% off with a discount code Bubba. Just go to rotoballer.com backslash Bubba and get your draft kit today. They have tons of great stuff and you get premium with promo code Bubba, DFS, all the goodies. Use promo code Bubba, sign up at Rollerballer, get an extra 10% off with promo code Bubba. Now to tonight's episode of Bench with Bubba. everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 295 got a returning guest for the show to help us recap the mlb draft he's the lead prospect analyst at rotowire.com he has farm fridays on sirius xm and a part of the wednesday prospect podcast you can find him on twitter at real jr anderson james anderson how we doing my friend i'm doing all right bubba uh, always love coming on with you and always happy to talk draft yeah no i appreciate you coming on it's always a a fun time chatting it up prospect-wise and all that good stuff. And uh, why don't you go ahead and let everybody know what you got going at Rotowire with your farm futures and all kinds of different uh, cool stuff you have going on right now. Sure, yeah. I mean, we I updated the top 400 prospect rankings, uh, also updated the team top 20 prospect rankings. And so that all, I, that, I think that incorporated 50 new draftees onto the top 400 and another few dozen more onto the team top 20s. So um, every every guy has been added that, that needs to be added to those rankings. And then if you click on each player's page, if it's a guy that's, that's ranked up top 400, I probably wrote the analysis for them, uh, for their, their note on them being drafted. So uh, you should be able to see where I have everyone ranked and just kind of my take on each guy. Sweet. I, re- I highly recommend everybody go check that out. Uh, always great work from James there. But uh, on tonight's show or today's show, we're going to recap the top 10 picks and then just kind of get an overall thought on different aspects of the draft. 
Um, we had Ralph Lifshitz on the week before the draft to kind of talk about some things. So it's kind of going to be fun to, to pick both your brains here. And we'll start with the top 10. Obviously, the number one pick, uh, it was rumored to be number one. There were still some question marks, but the Tigers went with Spencer Torkelson out of Arizona State. How do you uh, how do you like his fit in Detroit, and how do you see him playing out uh, in the pros? I think they just they, they took the, the easy call with Torkelson at one. Um, they didn't overthink it. They didn't uh, do what the Orioles did at two. Um, so they just they took the obvious guy. I think he's going to be the face of their rebuild. You know, the type of guy that could be the number one first baseman in baseball for you know four or five year stretch there. He's just, he kind of has it all. When you think of just a classic first baseman that's going to hit for average, get on base at a high clip, hit for a ton of power, that's Spencer Torkelson. So they, they obviously have a ways to go to fill in that lineup around him, but they have that type guy that's going to be able to hit third or fourth for them for a long time. Yeah, that's a big piece to have uh, take over Miggy's job when he's done here soon. So in the middle of that order, hopefully keep some other big bats around him there. In Detroit, as we've seen them, you know, they've added the pitching the last few years with Mize and Dunning and, and Fado and all of them. So getting some bats to go in that mix. Slowly but surely, Paul Spore might have a winner. It, it might slowly happen. But um, <laughs> you kind of you kind of hinted at the Orioles here. We'll talk about the guy in a few picks who everyone kind of thought they would take. But uh, they kind of surprised us with Heston uh, Hirsted out of uh, Arkansas. And I didn't see it coming. I don't know many people that did. But um, – what do you think maybe their reasoning was? Maybe they've already said it and I missed it for going with Heston. And how do you think he fits into this Orioles team that has a lot of young talent, but it's maybe not the top end talent. Yeah, they, they obviously, well, first of all, they obviously like Kirstead more than most people do. They really value performance in the SEC. That, that much was obvious by the rest of their draft. They, you know, I think they, they, they viewed this draft as an opportunity to load up that system with more than just, like, one big guy at the top. They wanted to try to get, uh, you know, half a dozen position players that they could um, potentially develop into to everyday players. And so I think they took a quantity over quality approach. Uh, there's – I've – even drawn similarities to back when the Astros took Carlos Correa with the first pick uh, about like eight years ago, saved money up top, and then were able to draft a guy like Lance McCullers, who they would not have been able to draft if they had, had paid a guy slot money with the, the number one overall pick that year. To me, it's not quite the same because even in, even people that weren't crazy high on Correa, like he was still like a top five prospect in that draft class. He was going to play uh, up the middle position. He's going to add value with his glove and his bat. I, I don't view Deerstead as that type of player. I think that he, to, to me, was kind of clearly outside of my top 10 prospects available heading into the draft. I've got him ranked 11th now. Uh, you know, I, I just think offensively, you can definitely dream on the power. But defensively, he's absolutely limited to a corner. And, you know, I don't think he's going to be a great defender at a corner. My concern is that I just don't think his approach is something that I'm used to seeing get taken this high 
in a draft, like a guy that struck out 21% of the time and only walked 7% of the time as a sophomore in college. That's just not what you typically see from a college hitter that gets taken this high who's not going to add any value defensively. Um, the Orioles, I've spoken to um, people in that organization. They believe that he was making better decisions at the plate this spring. It was a small sample. They did not face great competition because SEC play. So I'm kind of taking a wait and see on whether those changes were real or just the product of a junior beating up on mediocre pitching. Uh, I'm still pretty concerned about the hit tool. Like I think it would be a win if he's like a 260 hitter, uh, but they like him more than I do. And they like the players they took after they took later in the draft more than I do. So it uh, doesn't mean that they're wrong. Um, doesn't mean that I'm right, but I, it's not exactly what I would have done. Well, and, and you're definitely not the only person I've heard say that. I think you're in the majority of the, the consensus there that that was surprised by this pick and, and wouldn't have went with it. I guess on one hand, the way you said that, you know, quantity over quality, they are a team that needs to really build with a lot of quantity right now. Quality would help, obviously, but, you know, one or two quality players might not help the entire need of the franchise at the moment, but it might get them there quicker. There's different ways to to, to view it, but – if they could use some of that money to kind of get better players in later rounds, as you were mentioning, as we'll kind of talk about later with this five-round system. And a, a lot of teams use different uh, strategies, good or bad, to kind of handle their money and their picks along the way. So maybe that's the way they went. Maybe if they went the Austin Martin route or something, they wouldn't have been able to sign these other guys. That, that could have been part of the process. And another thing you mentioned there, which is going to be interesting to see for a lot of these picks, is after last year's season and then maybe some summer ball or uh, and uh, stuff like that, like the Cape and all that, we didn't get a gigantic dose of any of these players uh, to, to kind of see where they developed over the winter time into the players they are now. So maybe they had a, a better handle on things. Who knows? It's going to be tricky to see how that all plays out as things get going. Uh, when we talk to picks three and four now, we'll, talk, we'll start with the third one. We go two pitchers here. First with the Marlins, they go with Max Meyer. And I know Asa Lacey was a very popular target. He went at four. We'll talk about him in a second. But Max Meyer went uh, number three to the Marlins. And the Marlins are slowly putting together a fearsome set of young talent, especially young, talented pitchers. What's your take on Meyer uh, going to the Marlins? I think if we just – and this is probably the case with the Royals too. If we just remove the fact that Austin Martin was there, then I think it's a great pick. Like I, I applaud the Marlins for going off of their board with regards to Meyer versus Lacey. Not a ton separates those guys. If if Meyer proves that he can be a like 190 inning a year type of guy, then I absolutely think he can be better than Asa Lacey. And Lacey hasn't even proven that he can handle that type of workload yet either, but he's got the more prototypical frame to, to eat innings. So the, really the only reason I had Lacey ahead of Meyer was just that, that difference in body type, uh, the 6'4 lefty versus the 6'0 righty. To me, that, that's enough just to kind of give Lacey that little bump. He's got a deeper repertoire as well, but Meyer might be the better strike thrower. So, um, and Meyer probably has the better top two pitches. So it, to me, I think if you pulled 30 MLB teams, maybe – 25 of them would prefer Lacey and five of them would prefer Meyer and maybe the Marlins were one of the five, but um, 
I would have I would have taken Austin Martin over both those pitchers <laughs> if I had been in either of those teams' shoes. But if you're just telling me Meyer or Lacey, I have no problem with the Marlins choosing Meyer. Yeah, that's that's good to know that they, you know, Lacey might have been the favorite because that's the one I kept hearing about going into it. But if they're that close, where it's literally just trust your kind of gut in the end because you know five pros five cons type situation maybe between the two or six and four or whatever then go with your final little straw there so that's good to see that the marlins are going that route uh six foot 185 righty is interesting because the lacy six four two fifteen that's a big boy and that could be a lot of moving parts that could lead to a lot of injury we, we don't see a lot of hard throwing lefties that size stay uh together that long what do you think about Lacey with Kansas City, a team that also went heavy pitching in recent drafts as well? Yeah, I think the Royals are building a pitching juggernaut right now. They, uh, I'm and I'm even I'm lower on Brady Singer and Chris Bubik than most, but I'm higher on Jonathan Bolin and Austin Cox. So I think one way or another, they're going to have a very talented rotation full of guys that are under the age of 27 here in a few years. Um, Lacey. I mean, he just – he looks the part of a frontline guy. He is in complete control. I I noticed when watching video of him that he he sometimes threw too many non-competitive pitches that were kind of nowhere near the zone when he was ahead in the count, just kind of trying to get guys to chase. But guys were hitting like 111 against him, and – you know, he, he was like two strikeouts per inning, basically, uh, just complete dominance against, uh, again, not not so great competition early this spring, but he was really good last year as well. Um, I, I think there's a really high strikeout ceiling with Lacey, just given the fact that he's got, uh, I think, the fastball and slide. Are probably 70 grade pitches in time. The change up's probably a 60 grade pitch, curveball, maybe a 55 grade pitch. I mean, he's going to get a ton of, ton of swings and misses with that repertoire. And pitching in that ballpark is going to help as well. So, um, again, I would have probably gotten Austin Martin there, but that's, you know, nobody would have thought the Royals would have been able to get Lacey at four heading into drafting. Yeah, because you would know much better than me, but pretty much the, the the idea on most draft boards coming into the day was Torkelson, Martin, Lacey, in some order, there's your top three. You just kind of see where it goes. Just to have Lacey fall to four, the Royals have to be going, oh, my goodness. At the same time, I wonder I, – I would love to have been on fly on the wall looking at that board going, wait, Lacey and Martin are sitting here? What do we do now? That would have been a, one of those kind of fun moments. We do it in fantasy drafts all the time. When, when you when you have your queue set up and you think maybe one of the four guys will be there and somehow like three of the four guys are there, now what do we do? Um, it, it, it'll be interesting with Lacey and Martin. We'll go to Martin here. Uh, the Baby Blue Jays is what I have named them. Uh, others might have as well, but I absolutely love the Baby Blue Jays. They're they're fun to watch. They're hard not to root for when you got Bichette and Vlad and um, Biggio and all these other young studs uh, coming in there, Pearson and company. So much fun to watch. And their offense is going to be explosive as all get up. And then they just happen to land with Austin Martin out of nowhere. Like if, if, if any team could use some young pitching, it's probably the Blue Jays. But kind of how you've hinted with the Marlins and the Royals, you can't. It, it's it's hard to pass an Austin Martin talent. How do you see him fitting in with the Blue Jays? Um, just how crazy is it? And why do you think he fell to five? Yeah, Martin is a legit one-one caliber of draft prospect. I think in 
a lot of years, Austin Martin goes first overall. Uh, I think the Scott Boris factor might have played a role in picks two through four, where the the Martin camp might have just had a price that they just weren't moving off of. Like, basically, you're paying us, like, the, the second overall pick, whether we go second overall or not. Um, that might have been a factor. I honestly don't care. Like, I, I just think he's he's about as can't miss as it gets. Now, he might not be a superstar. You know, he might, he might never finish top three in, in MVP voting. But I think he is going to be a four to six win player for you know four or five years, and he can play four or five positions. Uh, he can't really play shortstop. I think the Orioles take Martin at two if they believe in him as a shortstop. Uh, but I think he can play a really good second base he can play a good third base he can probably be you, you know you hope he's about average in center field which is where I think he's going to play for the Blue Jays uh, just given the rest of the talent they already have on board there but I mean guys with his type of approach and context skills plus speed developing power defensive versatility like we could be talking about him as one of the best hit tools in the majors in five years, like a guy that just hits 315 every year or something like that. I mean, I, that's a really tough player to pass on for me uh, for any pitching prospect, and especially for a corner outfielder who has a questionable approach. Yeah. The blue Jays are doing it the right way. It's, you know, draft all the young talented bats for cheap, spend your money on the pitching that you know is actually good not to develop it. It's a, it's a philosophy that's worked for many. And we'll see how it works for the Blue Jays. Because as you know, in the AL East, you can never have enough offense. That's for sure. So um, I, I thought that was – watching that uh, that fall take place was just – it was awesome because, like I said, I, I like to enjoy rooting for the young Blue Jays. And just to have him join that club, it's going to be ridiculous watching those guys. It, it's I don't know if talent level or if it, the production will end up being there. But to me, it feels like they're kind of building like a young Cubs team, like a young – Astros team where there's so much depth in offense that eventually they're just going to have like one or two year run, maybe three years with it all clicks. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch if they can get the pitching to go with it. Um, we go to the sixth pick, the Seattle Mariners grabbed the third pitcher off the board, Emerson Hancock. I know some people were, were high on him, obviously not Lacey Meyer high, but they, they were high on Hancock. Uh, what do we have on Hancock going to the Mariners? I mean, you'll, you'll still find people on Twitter that, say Hancock is the best pitcher in this class I I'm definitely not one of them uh I think he's fine like I, I don't think this is a bad I would give this pick like a C I think it's just it's fine like you got a, a high if, if there's such a thing as a high probability pitching prospect Hancock is, is kind of that guy um he you know might have the best change up of anyone that got drafted on night one uh, I think the fastball is a potential problem. It's got velocity, but I think it's going to be hittable in the zone. He reminds me a little bit of Mitch Keller in that way, where uh, just velocity is not the only thing you need with the fastball, right? Like you, you have to be able to spot it. Now Hancock's got pretty good command. I think he'll he'll be pretty decent in that at locating the fastball, but 
big leaguers, I mean, let alone like, I mean, double A, triple A hitters, they can square up 97 when it's got a lot of plate. Um, so I, I'm not in love with this fastball. I'm not in love with this breaking ball. Uh, I think he's, you know, I think he's got a decent chance to be a number three starter, but I don't like him as much as I like George Kirby. I don't like him as much as I like Logan Gilbert. So to me, he's, he's like number three of those arms they have on the way. Uh, I would have taken Nick Gonzalez over him. I probably would have taken some of the prep hitters over him. So, I mean, I think it's, it's fine. It, it's not a bad pick, but it's not necessarily what I would have done. Yeah, it's always hard for me. Not Well, A, I'm not a Mariners fan, but just watching how the Mariners handle young players and players in general because, you know, DePoto's always trading guys or something's going on. So it's hard to see how they evaluate things if they're trying to build in certain assets of the team because their offense is getting pretty old too. So interesting to see how they go about that there. But maybe they think in the uh, AL West, we need to load up on pitching. Who knows? But you mentioned Nick Gonzalez. He went seven to the Pirates, and uh, this kid can rake. I know that much. It was New Mexico State, altitude, all you know, maybe lesser competition, all that kind of stuff. But everything I've seen and heard, the kid's legit. Uh, what do you have on Nick Gonzalez going to a Pirates team that has a is very, very young already, and they're still a little ways away, but he could definitely help. Yeah, he's just – I mean, like you said, he, he can rake. He's uh, – yeah, he might be the second best pure hitter in this draft behind Torkelson. Um, definitely not the defender that Austin Martin is. Probably not the athlete that Austin Martin is, but Gonzalez, like, look what he did on the Cape last summer. I mean, that that's a comical slash line for the Cape Cod League where, where they're using wood bats, where there's some pretty good pitching. Uh I think the I think his bat is 100% legit. I think he's going to hit for. I think he's going to have plus game power. I, I've seen people dismiss his power potential as, as just kind of being a, a hit tool guy that's maybe going to be 15 to 20 homers. I, I think he's going to be a 30 homer guy, even in that park. He just he he hits the ball so hard, and he makes contact at such a good clip that it's going to, it's going to translate to power for me. And he's going to chip in some speed as well. Like he's not a super fast guy, but um, like, I, I think the Keston here comps usually like the most common comp you'll hear on guys is, is kind of a BS comp or lazy for whatever <laughs> reason. But I kind of, I kind of buy the Keston here comps on Nick Gonzalez. I slotted him right into my top 30. I think he, you know, with, with Keston here, we always thought it was it was the hit tool first, then the power. He's kind of showed us since he got to the majors that, yeah, he can hit for a ton of power to all fields. He's got su- surprising speed on the bases, so, and he's not a good defender. So, I mean, Nick Gonzalez checked all those boxes. That is high praise because, uh, A, we know you uh, you pay attention to the Brewers pretty closely. And to uh, get the Keston here at comp, that is huge, as we saw it he did last year and how high he's going in drafts this year. And that could be a, a that'd be awesome. Yeah, the Pirates could definitely use that. Where do you see Gonzalez uh, fitting in on, in the Pirates infield? Second base for sure. Uh, he, he tried playing shortstop this spring to try to boost his draft stock. Uh, I mean, if, if anything, it might've hurt his draft stock to be honest. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, he's at second base, right. And so, oh. They have that Kyle Newman, Cole Tucker thing that, that'll get figured out by the time Nick Gonzalez is in the majors. So one of those guys will be a shortstop. And 
Um, Cabrian Hayes at third. Uh, Josh Bell, hopefully the DA will be in the NL by then, so we don't have to watch Josh Bell play first base anymore. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, the Pirates, they're a ways away, obviously. But I, I think this draft showed me that the Pirates are in pretty good hands. I like what the Pirates did with this draft, even after the Gonzalez pick. So uh, I think Ben Sherrington, like there's, there's obviously been sort of some negative um, from a fantasy standpoint. I think people are kind of leery of pirates prospects because of how the previous regime was unable to develop them, especially on the pitching side. But I, I think that this new regime is, is off to a good start. That's great to hear. Cause yeah, that was like the big chatter going into draft season was the new regime there, you know, they're, they're taking, you know, all the new metrics and all the rap sodos and all that to help the pitching staff. And they were all, that was a whole new thing for Pittsburgh. So to hear that they're actually the way they're evaluating talent and, and developing talent or trying to develop talent is going to be a, a very positive thing in the future. And that, that, that NL central is always a lot of fun, you know, going into every season, you got the Brewers and the Reds and the Cubs that are always usually battling the Cardinals. And if you can throw the Pittsburgh pirates into the mix and make five teams just kind of beat up on each other, it might be stressful baseball, but it'd be fun baseball. So that'll be good to see. Right, let's go to the eighth pick of the draft, the Padres, who we already know has a loaded, loaded system. They took the first uh, high school player off the board, outfielder Robert Hassel III. Um, what do you have on him? Because I, there was a group of high school players that I heard could go kind of early. Um, Hassel was the first to go. Yeah, he wasn't the best one, in my opinion. I I like Ed Howard more than Hassel. I like Zach Bean more than Hassel. Uh, he's, you know, he's fair, you know, I'm using air quotes. He's, he's safe for a high school hitter. I don't love the swing plane for power. Like I, I am not projecting him to be more than a 15 to 20 Homer guy. And I kind of think it's closer to 15 than 20. I mean, who knows what, what balls baseball will be using when Hassel gets to the majors. But uh, I sort of – I view his ceiling as kind of like it's 300, 15 to 20 homers, 15 – like 10 to 15 steals. Now, that's a very useful player, but he has to bring that batting average. Like if, if he's just a 265 guy or a 275 guy even – it's all of a sudden just not that interesting. And I think people often get in trouble when they try to project high school hitters as like, oh, he's got the best hit tool. Like he's really safe. I mean, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't work out. They're just, it's not that accurate. You're not always going to hit on the high school guys who seem the safest. Like Mickey Moniak was the number one pick in the draft a few years ago. And he had a lot of similar traits to Robert Hassel and except the fact that Mickey Moniak was thought to be a guy that was going to be a plus center fielder whereas Hassel is a guy that might have moved to left field and obviously nothing about Mickey Moniak's pre-draft scouting report ended up being true like all of his tools were worse than people thought they were I'm not necessarily saying that's going to happen with Hassel but Hassel reminds me a lot more of Moniak in terms of the stuff people are saying about him than like a guy like Jared Kalanick or um, even a guy like Kyle Tucker, like guys that have been labeled the best uh, hit tool in the draft from the high school ranks. The fact that I just don't see him being a 25 homer guy or a 20 steal guy 
just put so much pressure on that hit tool. But the Padres had been on him for a while. And I think if they'd gone with a guy like Zach Veen over Hassel, they probably end up having to pay about $1.5 million extra to get Veen to sign. And that prevents them from doing some of the stuff they did later in the draft. Oh, and that sounds like more of the Padres way to go. They save the money here to build more later, and that's why their system is as deep as it is. Like it's it's ridiculous. Every time we start looking at looking at who's going to get called up or expanded rosters, or, hey, there's a trade. Who are they going to send? They have so many players in that farm system. It is just insane to see what they built there. Eventually, they're like the Rays of the National League. It just feels like they have so many guys. They have to trade some, otherwise they have to get rid of them. So just like for free on the, in the Rule Five draft, it's crazy how they uh, they pull all that off. But uh, you mentioned Zach Veen. Veen goes nine to Colorado, and I thought Twitter was going to explode when Zach Veen went to Colorado because, oh, no, a power hitter in Colorado. What what could go wrong there? Um, I, everyone's in love with him. I just kept <laughs> making the joke is, well, A, when's he going to play like 2027 with the Rockies, or is he going to be yeah. in Korea like uh, Roberto Ramos because it's the Rockies? But um, <laughs> what's your thoughts on Zach Veen? Because the power – Everyone says it's pretty darn legit, but is it worth it at number nine? And do we have any faith in the Rockies? Well, I, I think it's totally worth it at number nine. I'm just analyzing this pick under, like, I know, like, it, it, there, it's, it's, it's fun to make fun of the Rockies. Like, they bring it on themselves. I've done it plenty. I'm operating under the assumption there will be a new front office by the time Bean is close to the majors. They've That's just probably done fair. so poorly. Yeah. Uh, that I just, it, you know, I know that they're a little too loyal there. Maybe uh, the owner, from what I gathered, doesn't necessarily care about winning. He's just kind of interested in getting butts in the seats, like that type of thing. Um, but I, I assume there's going to be a new front office there. It doesn't mean the owner's going to hire a good general manager because he hasn't really ever done that. Uh, but I just want to analyze him as Zach being the player and. Zach Veen, the player, is a top 100 prospect for me, with or without Coors Field. I gave him a bit of a bump with the fact that the Rockies took him, but I didn't give him, like, a crazy bump just because it's all about the fact that I still think he, like, he's not a sure thing at all. None of these high school hitters are sure things. Outside of Torkelson and outside of, Austin Martin, I don't think a single player in this draft is a, is a sure thing. So um, there's a lot of risk with a guy that's 6'5", who, you know, he's got a patient approach, but I don't think he's a guy that's ever going to hit uh, for a crazy high average um, if we just eliminate context. So the strikeout, he's my he's – my, fourth-ranked hitter from this class after the draft. I moved him ahead of Ed Howard. But to me, the notion of taking him over Nick Gonzalez in a first-year player draft just because he drafted by the Rockies is really crazy. Like, I just – I cannot get on board with that at all. It's, you know, everything everyone's saying about Zach Bean right now, they were saying about Brendan Rodgers five years ago, and we're still waiting on Brendan Rodgers to do anything. Like, if Zach Veen takes five years to get to the majors, which is very possible, I'll bet Nick Gonzalez has already been in the majors for two-plus years. So, to me, it's Gonzalez by a mile over Veen for the, the third-best hitter in this draft for fantasy. I, I like how you, how you uh, mentioned that part about it because, you know, there is a 
people don't always look at that. They just look like you said, Colorado, ninth pick. So you know he's talented, which he is. There's no hiding that. But you got these three college kids that are going to be there a lot sooner, like a lot sooner. So what are you waiting for? Like, I know everyone's got different dynasty philosophies. I know you're very, you're, you're very successful in what you do. You know, there's Ian Kahn. There's a bunch of other guys that are phenomenal dynasty players. But uh, I've always been a guy that I want, you know, mid-20s to, you know, 27-year-old players. I want prospects that are close in the next year or two, possibly the best I can. You can't always do that. But, uh, yeah, if, you, if you're deciding between, you know, Nick Gonzalez or Veen, stuff like that, that makes a ton of sense. And I'll look forward to seeing uh, Veen when he comes through San Jose, hopefully next season, if we're actually going to watch live baseball. So that'll be fun. Uh, rounding out the top 10, we have the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, who made people so happy the entire draft. Like so many Angels fans must be ecstatic with what they did. But they took a picture in Reed Detmers out of Louisville. Uh, what, do you, uh, what are your thoughts on Reed Detmers going to the Angels? I think it's a, it's a perfect fit to me because – there might be some guys that reach the majors may, maybe ahead of Detmers from this class as, like, relievers. But I honestly think it's going to be Detmers. Um, he's, you know, he's got plus command. He's got a really fierce demeanor on the mound. He knows how to pitch. He knows how to sequence. He's, uh, he's got one of the best curveballs in the class. The velocity is a bit of an issue for him, but his fastball has great movement. He locates it wherever he wants. I I just think he's a pretty safe number three starter by starting pitching prospect standards, and I think he could be ready to help that rotation in 2021. So given where the Angels are at and how much pressure there is on them to win now, I think that was a great pick. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty strong. I didn't think of it that way. Um... The fact they do need to win now, I think you know everyone keeps saying build around Trout so he can win now before he's gone. That makes a lot more sense now with that pick to uh, get that guy as really close to being up there. Um, so let's say the rest of the first round. Uh, any big surprises? I know Austin Hendrick is one of the top high school prospects. He went to the Reds. Uh, you mentioned Ed Howard was a big pick. There's other picks as well. What were some of the bigger surprises or like really good landing spots that you liked in the rest of the first round? Um. Well. I'll give you a couple really positive ones. Uh, I think, like I said, Ed Howard to me is the the fifth best hitter in this draft for fantasy. He went 16 to the Cubs. I thought that was great. Um, I love Pete Crow Armstrong. I think him going 19 to the Mets was a steal. I think Garrett Mitchell going to the Brewers at 20 was a steal. And I thought Austin Wells was the fourth best college hitter in this draft. And I think the Yankees are going to let him play a lot of left field. And I think he's just going to tear it up in Yankee Stadium. His swing is perfect for it. So them getting him at 28 was was a heist for me. And then on the negative side, Justin Foscue to the Rangers at 14. I just – I what's <laughs> that's just not how I'm using a 14th overall pick in a draft on a college second baseman who can't play anywhere else, who hits right-handed like – I, I don't get that one uh, at all. And then, um, you know, I, a lot of teams did really well. Oh, I'll throw in uh, – I love Nick Bitsko to the Rays at 24. I thought that was a steal as well. The Rays just continues to do good things. That's good. But, uh, yeah, there, the, the draft from – most things I saw or heard, there wasn't too many um, complaints because a lot of teams had to do different things for money. And if you watched the total package in the end, it kind of made sense. 
here and there. Like people for the Red Sox weren't happy at one point. I, I know as a Giants fan, I'm still scratching my head over Patrick Bailey. I just I, I don't get it. But uh, yeah, yeah. And, and Farhan we trust is what I say because he's earned the right to do his thing. Well, but it confuses me. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that would be, you know, if I was just like ranking my favorite picks of the first round, the Bailey one would probably be bottom five. But mm-hmm. I, you know, it's it's tempting to appeal to authority here, like you, like you alluded to. Like, I could see Bailey, like my comp on him for his upside is basically Yasmani Grandal circa his Dodgers days you know where he's getting on base at a really high clip he's hitting like 20 25 homers I could see Grandal or I could see Bailey being that kind of hitter and then them just kind of using that DH to make sure Bailey and Joey Bart are always in the lineup one of them's catching one of them's DHing uh or one of them playing first base like I, I understand how it could work out I understand that they could trade Bailey or Bart for a really nice player if Bailey is looking like uh, another awesome future big league catcher in a couple of years. But uh, yeah, I'm with you. I, it's not even so much that they took a catcher. I like mm-hmm. Dylan Dingler more than Bailey. I like Austin Wells more than Bailey. So I just, it's, it's that catcher that, that I'm not that big of a fan of. Yeah, that's kind of how I am. Cause like, I, I know the DH is coming and, you know, Brandon Belt's all, almost gone. So Bart could go to first or whatever. Like I, I see the scenarios but when I was reading everything about the other catchers that were on the board or other players, I'm like, oh, what are you doing? But like I said, I, I'm trusting Farhan because he's 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 earned that that respect at least, at least in my book. So we'll go that route. Um, they, the draft only being five rounds. Just a quick thought on that. Um, how much do you think that's going to affect the future of the minor leagues? Obviously, it's a it's a sh- more shallow player pool. That's that's easy to say. But, um, you know, just this year alone, with only five rounds. How do you think it's going to affect things overall? I don't think it'll be noticeable to people. Like, it'll be noticeable to scouts that go to all these games. Uh, you know, really, they're, they're going to dissolve a lot of minor league affiliates. And so the fact that you don't have another 25 rounds worth of guys coming in isn't a huge deal. Uh, it's it's honestly really not going to affect a ton in terms of short-term stuff that we can see with our eyes. I think that baseball really has gotten to a pretty bad place, in my opinion, in terms of how tough it is. If you're if you're a young player and your family's not rich, it's so hard to play. Uh, baseball at the highest level as an amateur especially in middle school and high school and I just I think MLB's been really short-sighted with a lot of stuff that they've done Um, I'm not exactly sure what the solution is but I know that taking even more money off the table that you could offer a kid to uh, convince him to go into baseball rather than go play football in the SEC or something like that I just I don't think it's good long term. I think more and more we're just seeing kids from affluent families are basically the the cream of the crop at the high school level because their parents have been able to afford for them to play travel ball. Their parents have afforded to 
send them to all these showcase events and stuff like that. And when there's even less money at the end of that tunnel for the, the kids that don't come from that type of means, I think that's an issue long-term, but I think just in, in the short term, in terms of your favorite team's farm system, my favorite team's farm system, it's really not going to be all that noticeable uh, because it's rare for uh, a, an abundance of good players to come after round five. In every draft, there inevitably is a few guys you can point to, but those guys are probably going to, you know, obviously they're the Jacob deGrom type of stories. Jacob deGrom maybe doesn't happen under this current system, but 99.9% of those guys are going to get found one way or another. They're going to go to college. They're going to find a way, but uh, I'm just kind of more worried about how MLB is just kind of taking more and more financial incentive off the table for amateur players. No, and that's such a, a great conversation. Like that's one that I think needs to be delved into much more, not on this show, at least not right now. But I agree with everything you're saying. I've seen it firsthand even when I was playing baseball heck, 20-something years ago at the, the junior high and high school level. So you, you, you see it back then, and I, I've seen it now with you know friends and their kids and the travel ball and stuff. It's, it's crazy, and it is very, very difficult if you don't have the money to play baseball, which is a shame because it used to be so simple get a glove, we all share a bat, and we go play some ball. But uh, that has definitely changed, and uh, it's a good point, a really, really good point that you're making I think needs to be addressed. Otherwise, the long-term future of the game is going to be interesting to see how that continues to develop. But uh, let's go back to a more positive note here. Um, let's talk about uh, a handful of teams, maybe three teams, four teams, whatever, that in the total package, because, again, we're not going to go over all five rounds, but what teams do you think did a really, really good job in this draft that uh, improved their overall farm system for the future? So just quickly, I'm just going to say uh, the Tigers and the Blue Jays. Um, we, we've already spent time on those top picks. I just think adding Torkelson, adding Martin, that's awesome for those two systems. I think the Indians had the best draft. I know that that's not a, uh, a hot take. I, I've seen plenty of other smart, smart people say that. Um, Carson Tucker was a really, really nice get in the first round, but it looks even better when you factor in Tanner Burns and Logan Allen as there's those next two picks. I mean, the Indians are used to turning guys like Shane Bieber and Corey Kluber into to big time starters, but those guys didn't have the type of pedigree that Burns and Allen did in this draft. And they fit that Indians archetype so perfectly. They're both big-time strike throwers, really good command, uh, fastballs that play above the movement and location, deep repertoires. I think Tanner Burns and Logan Allen are just going to flourish in that, that Indian system. And then P.D. Halpin in the third round, I, I thought that was another great get. The Indians love up-the-middle guys with upside. They love young guys. So Tucker and, and Halpin really fit the bill for the Indians. And then – Honestly, to me, one of the picks of the entire draft came in the third round by the Angels. They had already locked down Reed Detmers in the first. Uh, and, and as I said, I think that that helps them a lot in the short term and the long term. But David Calabrese, who they got, they got him to sign for slot, which is under a million dollars in the third round. And he's a guy that's just outside my top 200. Uh, 
he's you know to me he's like a poor man's Corbin Carroll uh, who's a top 30 prospect in the in the Diamondback system he's going to play center field he hits left-handed he's got double plus speed he's going to i think he's going to hit for a decent average i don't think the tool is quite as good as uh, Corbin Carroll's but similar idea with the power where people discount Carroll's power because of his size but i, I think Calabrese is going to hit for power as well i thought that was the fact the Angels could get him at the slot value and none of the other teams were willing to promise him more than that later or take him sooner than that, I just thought that that just made their whole draft uh, a major heist. And I also thought the the Dodgers did incredibly well. I'm really sorry about that, Bubba. Oh, no. No, I had a feeling you are going to say that. I've heard that from a few people. It's There's a reason certain teams stay good, James, and it's hard to admit it, but you have to admit it, and that's what they do. They just continue to keep reloading, and that's uh, the Dodgers did it yet again. So we'll see how that all pans out uh, as they keep going. I've even said it, you know, Walker Buehler and Cody Bellinger, like how do I root against those guys? It's just just too difficult to do. Um, With the five rounds, though, there were a lot of undrafted guys. We saw a ton of college players compared to prep players in high school. That was a big – difference in this factor because of only the five rounds and some of the kids might say no we're just going to go to college with all the un, you know uncertainty with signings and what's going on in baseball right now um but there have been a lot of undrafted free agents have there been any that kind of stood out to you i know it's it's a long list and they keep coming in so you might not have had enough time to dig in but are there any that stood out to you as you know these guys got a, a heck of a player here undrafted no not really um this is it's one of those things where because there's like barely anything to talk about uh, on the pro sports landscape and these guys are signing and trickling in and everything. I mean, really, if, if we had a baseball season going on and we <laughs> had um, just other you know stuff to distract us, all this, all these NDFAs would just be flying completely under the radar. They're signing for 20 grand. Uh, anyone who is like Harold Call is a guy that instead of signing for 20 grand, he went to a prep academy and he's just going to train privately for a year and re-enter the draft next year when there's more than five rounds. Like the guys that are signing for 20 grand are doing so kind of unfortunately just because that's, that's really their one shot to get into pro ball. And, um, I, it's it's kind of sad, but I you know they're signing for twenty grand. Like it's not it's not enough to to attract the top talent. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you you mentioned you already updated your top four hundred. Obviously, people need to go check that out because it's uh, it's a resource I go to a lot when I'm doing anything dynasty related. Um, who are some of the top targets if you're doing a first year player draft? If you're doing it this year, or if you're doing it before next season. Coming out of this draft, obviously you have Torkelson, you have Martins, you have the top pitching guys. Who are some of the top uh, targets that might not be as obvious, I should say? Yeah, so Ed Howard is the guy that I've ranked seven. And the fact that he went 16th, like I still think he's going to go top 10 in a lot of first-year player drafts because I'm not the only one pumping him up. I mean, there's a lot of people pumping him up. He went to the Cubs. Um you know, there's stuff in his favor that I don't think he's going to be drafted in first-year player drafts where he's drafting the real draft, but best shortstop prospect in the draft. I think he's going to hit for average, hit for power, chip in a little bit on the bases. 
So Ed Howard, I think he is a guy you might be able to get for value. Um, Austin Wells, like I said, a catcher slash left fielder. I think that's going to scare a lot of people off, especially when they just see the C next to his name. They're just going to think, oh, a catcher. Like, I'm not going to get aggressive on a catcher who went 28th overall. But as I said, I mean, he is he was a draft-eligible sophomore, raked on the Cape. He's got a great approach. Hits left-handed. Uh, the, the short porch in Yankee Stadium is going to be his friend. And I think they could fast-track him as a left fielder. That There are some similarities to Wells with Kyle Schwarber to me, just in the fact that he's being drafted solely for his bat. Like, the, the catching defense, it's, it's not good. Uh, even with robo-umps coming, his arm's probably not good enough for him to play a ton back there. But I could see him getting, like, 15 starts a year catcher, 15 starts a year at first base or DH. And then, you know, another 120 in left field. I just – I really like Austin Wells' bat. Um, and then uh, further down, I'll just – I'll give a, a few more prep guys. Isaiah Green, who the Mets got in, in the third round, I think he's just uh, about as toolsy as they come in this draft class. Probably the only guy in the entire draft who I could envision going 30-30. And then Mason Wynn, who uh, – the Cardinals took and they announced him as the two-way guy, which best case scenario was Mason Wynn getting announced as, as just a shortstop, but at least he's a two-way guy. So he'll be able to hit. And I think if he's impressive enough as a hitter early on, maybe they will, you know, at, at least sort of stop developing him as a starting pitcher as well. Maybe just as a relief pitcher as well. Mason Wynn has, a crazy high fantasy ceiling. I mean, from a tool standpoint, can stick at shortstop, can hit for power, plus runner. Uh, he's really impressive on the mound as well, but he's a 5'11 left or a 5'11 righty. I, to me, I just think the risk factor there for a guy who's already in the upper 90s as a 5'11, I just, I would develop him as a shortstop. I think there's a chance they might eventually go that route with Mason Wynn. So, Green and Win are a couple guys I'd be looking at in like the second or third round of a first year player draft. Yeah, when you mentioned 30 30 upside for Green, we know playing uh, every season how much steals are important. You throw in a 30 home runs, and that's a future pick. That's uh, tremendous. Comparing anybody to Kyle Schwarber has my attention immediately. So that's always a big one. It just poor, uh, poor, um, you know, our, our buddy Dolph Haldhagen. That's what I like to call him for fun. Um, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Chamberlain that's going to really put a damper on his uh his Mr. Talkman love in the outfield there but he's got a few years to have fun with that but for fun and you can tell me if I'm totally crazy it's totally fine I don't care but you, you I know how much you like Howard and a lot of people like Howard at shortstop say it's not a first year player draft it's a dynasty draft and I haven't looked at your rankings yet so I'm completely in the blue here that's why I could be crazy but as much as you like Howard would you rather have Howard or Marco Luciano at shortstop Oh, Luciano. Okay. For That's sure. why I figured I was crazy. For figured sure. I was crazy. Thought I'd ask. <laughs> no, okay. I mean, that's a, that's a different, that's a different stratosphere, man. Like <laughs> Luciano is, like, he, he should go in the top 100 of every, of every dynasty. Draft. Beautiful. Um, and then one more question for you. So we, we talked Torkelson, we talked Martin Detmers, you think is going to be the first pitcher up, but who's the first like impact fantasy player you see come up like probably more offensively, 
than pitching wise. Who do you think is the first one from this draft we see? Uh, it's you know it's it's either Torkelson or Martin, and you know they might they might just come up around the same time. Like I'm thinking June 2021 maybe for for both those guys. Um, it's tough because to me the Tigers. The Tigers are kind of with Torkelson, sort of where the Blue Jays were with Vlad. Like, you remember when Vlad, basically that that entire summer, what was it, 2018? Like, mm-hmm. he was so ready for the majors, and they just refused, refused to start his clock. Yeah. Like, something like that is going to happen with Torkelson next year, where it's just it's going to be abundantly clear that he's big league ready, and it's just, are the Tigers willing to start his clock? They should. I just think their fans are so starved for anything to get excited about. Um, so I'll lean Torkelson there. But, I mean, Austin Martin, like the Blue Jays are, are probably closer to contending for a playoff spot than the Tigers are. I don't think he's going to need much time in the minors either. So, you know, I think both those guys are going to at least be ready in 2021. Whether they get the call or not, we'll see. But I, I think both those guys are going to be very quick to the majors. I like it because uh, I agree. The Blue Jays, I think, are really close. I think I don't think we see Martin this year, obviously, but I think it could be fun on a short season that the Blue Jays could be interesting to sneak into the 16-team playoffs. And you never know with those youngsters. Uh, a couple listener questions here real quick. Billy B. from Canada asks, um, drafting seventh in a first-year player draft after the signing period, he expects Martin and Gonzalez to be gone. How do you rank Meyer, Hancock, or the Prep Bats, Hassel, or Veen? How would you rank those four? For a first-year player draft, Meyer would be number one, then Veen, um, then uh, then Hancock, then Hassel. So all right, uh, Meyer and Veen. I mean, I I think when you're picking seventh, you're probably gonna get shut out on Veen. So mm-hmm. Meyer's a possibility, but you might get shut out on him as well. I would recommend Ed Howard, Garrett Mitchell, or Austin Wells, or even Crow Armstrong over the rest of those guys you mentioned. But, um, yeah, I mean, maybe he gets Meyer at seven. That would be my first pick. I have a feeling I'm going to be taking Howard in a lot of first-year player drafts just by listening to this right now. It's, just, it's going to be brainwashed into me, so it's going to happen, and I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> um, well, I, I heard your I, – I know you're very high on him when you mentioned the fact because the Cubs got him and it kills you to see the Cubs have him because you got to see that torture – in first, like that's going to be rough. But um, another listener question from Richard Sands: Where would you take the top players, Torkelson, et cetera, in a dynasty draft where the available pool is only MLB rookies and current minor leaguers, plus any from this draft class? So not necessarily a first-year player draft, but um, it, it like basically no pros are in there. It's all minor leaguers and draftees. So where where's the highest you'd go with so one just, of these guys? Just sure, sure. So. Um... I have Torkelson seventh on my top 400. Uh, he's he's just behind Juan Franco, Gavin Lux, Julio Rodriguez, Joe Adele, Luis Robert, and Dylan Carlson. So Good company. Tor- Torkelson's a top. Torkelson's a top 10 guy. Austin Martin, I have 15. I have in, in between uh, Kalanick and Alex Kirilov. And then Nick Gonzalez, I have 30th in between Noeli Marte and Evan White. Um, so those, those are the big three. And then you have to go outside of the top 60 to get to the next guy, Asa Lacey and then Max Meyer. Um, but the big three are all in the top 30 and 
Martin and Torkelson are both in the top 15. And that, that's another reason why I like the top 400 list because like if you're already kind of wondering how talented people think these guys are when you see those names around him, the names we're more familiar with, that really starts to sink in. Okay, this guy's pretty darn good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've never put a guy from a draft class into a top 10. And so Torkelson's the first guy I've ever done that with. So, I mean, that's that kind of backs up what a lot of people have been saying about him being kind of a generational college hitter. All right, we've got one more listener question. Um, what do you think of the Phillies' first-round pick of Abel? I, I mean, it's there's a lot of risk there, but he's, you know, his upside is is probably top five in this entire class. The high school righties typically don't go very high for a reason, uh, but at 15, I think that that's I think that's that's pretty solid. I mean, you can really dream on him being a, a frontline guy, but he's going to be at least four years away from the majors, so you're going to have to wait on it a bit, and a lot can go wrong in four years when you're a pitching prospect. Yeah, no doubt about it. And that's from J-Dub the Gamer. All right, I have one more question for you, and I can't not ask it. I wanted to focus on the draft, which we did, and it was awesome as always. But with the news we saw today, I know it's been doom and gloom around the baseball world, and it's been very difficult for people that follow me on Twitter. They laugh because I go through, like, waves of it. I know you <laughs> you avoid you avoid a lot of Twitter. You're the smart person. Um, we did see some positive news today. It's not an agreement by any means. There's going to be a little bit more negotiation, but there's some movement in the right direction, kind of what we always thought the owners wanted as few games as possible. But it looks like we're going to get baseball, 60-ish games, give or take. How are you approaching 60 games this year? Uh, I'm going – heavily after hitters in the first seven or eight rounds uh, guys that I know are going to play every day hitting the top four or five spots of their lineup I I just really want to load up a core of of really impactful hitters who aren't going to be platooned with these expanded rosters and then you know kind of an old school approach right where you just pound hitting and then you you try to find the pitching where you can i'm also if it's a standalone league i'm punting saves just you know full stop like i i just i think the saves are going to be as spread out as ever uh you're going to have so many days where a team's closer is is pitched you know two straight days or three of the last four or whatever uh like you could have, you could have just some random, like Alex Colomay could lead the majors in saves or something like that. You know, I just, I don't want to use a, a high pick on a closer anymore because I just think there's just too much uh, variance with how the saves are going to get dispersed. And really when you're investing in a closer, all you care about is saves. So uh, pounding, hitting at the top and punting closing, as long as it's a standalone league are probably my two strategies. Yeah. I don't disagree with any of that. I've, I've had conversations. I, with a lot of people, especially on the closing platform, I'm almost more inclined to take a lot of like Seth Lugo types that are going to give me two innings an outing and maybe help the ratios and maybe run into a few saves, stuff along yeah. those lines, like create kind of middle kind of aces or four starter types type deals because ratios are going to be tricky because one bad start could ruin everything. Exactly, um, and and that that's why like if you take if you take Edwin Diaz or or just whoever um, like a, a top closer. Mm-hmm. that one outing where he gives up four runs and only gets one out or two outs. He doesn't mm-hmm. have enough of a season to get those ratios back to where they should be. Yeah. I've, I've, I've told him, I've said it on some other closer podcasts that 
Edwin Diaz, I think he had like three or four horrific outings of like more than five runs last year. If you just take those three or four out, which we can't, I know, but if you could, his numbers weren't bad at all. Like they looked like the Edwin Diaz of old, but that's the landscape of the closer. Now we just narrow that down to maybe at what, 15 uh, appearances, maybe 20, depending on how things go. That's going to really make things dicey. So um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. It's fun kind of, I ask most guests their idea on how they'd approach it because there's a lot of different uh, concepts, but I'm, I'm pretty much more in your shoes of, I want guaranteed at bats and that's what you're going for. Um, I want those ratio kind of reliever guys. I've said with the closers, you either take like two elite elite guys, which is going to kill your chance of loading up on bats or you go quantity type thing. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how it's done, but I thought I'd ask since it seems like we might be heading in the right and, direction. Well, let me, I'll throw out a couple other names with that. My reliever strategy too. Like I, I'm going to be huge on Drew Pomeranz. Like, I, yes. I don't know exactly where I have to take him, but I just think the Padres are going to use, like, use him a ton um, and use him for, like, two or three innings sometimes. So he's going to get wins. He's going to get saves. Uh, I also think Daniel Hudson. Like, I think Daniel Hudson and Sean Dula are basically going to, going to split closing duties. So I like Daniel Hudson at his price. I also think Corey Canable is going to get double-digit mm-hmm. saves, uh, or not necessarily double-digit saves in a 60-game season, but um, I think he's going to get at least a third of the Brewers' saves. So those are a couple of the guys. I, I love the Canable and Hudson calls. Those are guys, when we were going to have a full season, I was all about them because they were basically free in drafts, and I still thought mm-hmm. they were going to be impactful. And now I'm with you 100%. Like I see, especially because like just the Hudson alone, and even Canable, as you know with the Brewers, with these three batter minimums and, you know, Hater or Doolittle coming in to face some lefties once in a while, Hudson and Canable are going to luck into a lot of ninth inning spots. It's just going to be the way it works. And they're just they're, they're just as good um, ratio-wise and whatnot to make it happen, and they're going to be cheap. So I'm 100% with you. I think it's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out. And um, the, the biggest thing, I think, is who's going to be able to find those middle round to later round pitchers that don't crush your ratios? That's going to be the fun part because uh, obviously, you know, if you're not taking the aces up top, who can have bad outings also? And on a shorter season, it's more like just like the closer situation. But we know how those later guys, you know, we're happy if they throw two out of three starts good, let alone maybe one out of three. So that'll be the fun part. But uh, at least we get to actually start talking about that. That's good. That's always good. Um, let's wrap this one up today, James. Why don't you go ahead and plug everything you got going on where they can find you, all that good stuff. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at RealJRAnderson. Uh, as I said, we have um, the full top 400 prospect rankings that I manage are updated to reflect the entire draft, and the team top 20s are fully updated. If you want to try the website for 10 days free without a credit card, rotowire.com slash free and Hopefully you'll like what you see and you'll subscribe after that. But uh, if not, no worries. And then, uh, yeah, Clay Link and I do the the Prospect Podcast every Wednesday. That's got its own feed if you search for that on, on iTunes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, everything I do comes out of the, the Twitter account, Real J.R. Anderson. And uh, really appreciate you having me on. Always, James. It's always fun talking with you. I look forward to the next time. And uh, people don't uh, don't – don't not this is great english here please go try the free trial on rotowire because you will not regret it 
that's where I was going with that. So um, go check all that out and follow James on Twitter, which you should be if you listen to this podcast. But James, as always, a pleasure, and uh, we'll do it again sometime soon. Thanks a ton. Be well, Bubba. You too. Everybody, this is Bench with Bubba, episode 295 with James Anderson, recapping the MLB draft. Catch you guys later. Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.